0: Welcome to another episode of Embedded Insiders. I'm Laura Dolan, technology editor with Embedded Computing Design. I'm here with Brandon Lewis and Alex Pulse, and our fearless leader, Rich Nash, is not with us today. He is at the Design Automation Conference in Las Vegas. So, hope you're having a blast, Rich.
1: Yes, yeah, and we expect some good coverage uh, when we get back.
0: Yeah, but okay. <laughs> yes, yes. no toucher. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: well, I, I hope he uh, take a look. I apologize, Laura. I just, I, I just wanted to
2: add real quick before you went went on, is I hope he gives us a report on the Tchotchke Index from Vegas coming back. That's a big show, you know. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure Vegas will not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, today I want to talk about uh, my jam a little bit, autonomous vehicles. Um, we've been concentrating a lot on the um, advances in technology as far as um, data security and uh, where, it, uh, where it is as far as sensor technology with radar, LiDAR, IMUs, AI, and machine learning.
1: hmm you know, um, one thing in the autonomous vehicle space that uh, is interesting is you have, obviously, the bleeding-edge tech companies uh, that are really pushing boundaries, um, maybe sometimes too far. Um, we've seen, obviously, some accidents and some fatalities that have occurred uh, with the likes of, uh, you know, Uber, Google, you yeah. know, those types of, of organizations. Um, and then, on the other hand, you have some staunch realists within industry who think that, the, you know, the fully autonomous car isn't going to become a widespread thing for another, you know, 15, 20 or more years. Um, it's interesting to note that um, over here, the organization that sort of, that would, um, in theory, govern a lot of the advances in autonomous vehicles is NHTSA. Um, but over in Europe, Alex, uh, the Euro NCAP, you um, the uh new car assessment program um, has really done a really a, a good job being aggressive with um, adding in a lot of these sub you know subsystem uh features and uh requirements that will eventually be needed to uh to to have an autonomous vehicle um, so uh, like um, automatic emergency braking um, lane departure warning all of those things are already being built out um, and are going to be mandated into new vehicles within the next couple of years. Uh, what do you see going on over in Europe as far as regulation and uh, who's, who's the boss?
2: Okay. Well, you know, Britain, it, it, it it's it's going to get better. It's going to get better eventually, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because I mean, if you think about it, every one of the countries. Let's look at Europe. Every one of the, the uh, major countries, even the minor countries. I like, won't uh, partition the countries. I mean, but. For example, a country like Germany or Britain is going to have three, four different regulatory bodies overseeing uh, vehicles. Mm-hmm. And then now with the EU, you've got another layer of regulatory bodies. So eventually they're going to have to consolidate, you know, regulatory bodies or figure out some kind of cascading um, responsibilities in the way, like, for example, the United States between federal and state. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's I, – I, I, it's never occurred to me um, until just now that you also have, you know, the crazy you are driving on the wrong side of the road and all that. Um, on the wrong side of the car, too, I might add. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so there's a lot going on um, in terms of uh, what Euro NCAP is doing to push forward uh, some of these vehicle, uh, autonomous vehicle features in a nice way. But as you point out, Alex, you uh, it's going to take a lot of uh, collaboration and perhaps consolidation for this to work on a on a large scale.
2: Well, you know, and the other side of that
1: coin is when you think about
2: functionality and features, um, it's also an issue of ergonomics and haptics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you get into a car, you know where the gas pedal is, you know where the brake pedal is, the manual, you know where the clutch pedal is. The, Gear lever is here, the turn signal lever is here, the windshield washer handle is there. Um, you add functionality without some type of agreement on where the button should be located, you could see somebody dying in a rental vehicle, slapping in the dark and a dashboard for a switch that isn't in that model.
1: Right. But, you know, if that happens, and we're talking about um, eventually, this is why you know, people in the tech industry hate uh, Regulation and, and too much legislation. Because what's going to happen to the car makers then? Are they going to be able to differentiate, or is their ability to differentiate going to be restricted? I, I mean, I guess that's sort of synonymous with regulation, right? Right. Well, you know, think about it this way. Every car has to have seatbelts and an airbag. They don't tell
2: yeah. you how it should look, but they tell you how it should function. It should hold the passenger in. The airbag should deploy in such a manner. But I mean, you can see the cars around you. Airbags are in every steering wheel, and the steering wheels are, are all different. Well, I mean, within the realm of round and being graffiti and the like. Horn and,
1: and I think that, actually, as we get towards um, autonomous vehicles, fully autonomous vehicles being completely widespread and adopted, the way that we think about transportation in, in terms of a personal vehicle is probably going to change completely anyway. Uh, my theory is that, you know, 20, 25, 30 years from now, uh, cars as we know them are going to be more public utility uh, type assets than than owned by an individual. At which point, does it really matter that much how much differentiation there is between you know a Ferrari and a, and a you know, Lamborghini? Do you think the brands are going to go
0: away then?
1: No, um, I, I don't. I just think that the um, the deployment. Um, and the go-to-market strategy; of mm-hmm. uh, those companies is going to change, as well as the types of vehicles um, that they produce. Obviously, you know, Lamborghini and Ferrari is a bad example because I would imagine there's always going to be an enthusiast uh, market. Um, yeah. But I do think that the the bulk of uh, vehicles that are going to be sold um, are going to be sort of like cabs. And if you look at a cab, you know, most cabs, that you, most cabs are pretty much the same.
0: Right. There's no differentiation between
1: them, so that's interesting. Well, I'm I'm
2: going to come back in and and argue that other side a little bit more. Um, I don't think, yes, the the logical standardization, is because like in the case of the cabs again, they're regulating where the signage needs to be on the cab and what color it should be sometimes and, um, you know, at least where the signage is and behavior of the machinery inside. The cars are as varied as the owners. That's true. So, guys, um, see, and I'm really glad you got that guy out from Analog Devices. I can't wait to listen to the interview after it happens. But it's almost six here in Germany, so with your permission, I'm going to drop out of this conversation and let someone way more uh, expert in the industry uh, give his opinion.
1: It sounds good. Well, well done. Thanks,
0: Alex. All right.
1: Great,
2: guys. Take care now. Bye-bye.
1: Why don't we bring in somebody who knows a lot about this subject.
0: On the line with us now, we have Chris Jacobs. He is the Vice President of Autonomous Transportation and Automotive Safety at Analog Devices. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
3: Great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I just want to dive right in and start by discussing some of the systems and data security vulnerabilities of autonomous vehicles. Is it ethical to subject the general public to autonomous vehicles without their consent? I ask this because here in Tempe, Arizona, we've already had a fatality. So what are companies like analog devices doing to prevent loss of life or danger to the public of these advanced trials?
3: Sure. Fundamentally, safety is of the most uh, important aspect of uh, autonomous transportation. And I think that in recent years, you've seen perhaps less of a focus on that. And and as you mentioned, Laura, there has been some accidents and tragedies in recent days, largely because I think the emphasis in the industry is more around technological advancements versus putting the foundational things uh, in these systems in order to prevent a loss of life and to increase the safety aspects of these systems here. Now, with any advanced technology, especially something like autonomous driving, you need to actually deploy it in near-real-world settings in order to mature the algorithms and sensing technologies that are part and possible to these systems. So I think that you you will see more of these types of autonomous vehicles on the streets, but you will see them in perhaps these more structured geofenced areas, which is a geographic area uh, that is well mapped out, typically in the southern parts of the United States where the roads are straighter and the weather is better, that allows a more structured way of, of deploying these types of technologies in a setting that is better controlled. So I think that that's what you will see here uh, in the initial stages here to mitigate the, the risk and the chances of loss of life. But clearly, Laura, the underlying technology needs to improve dramatically in order to get to the 99.99999% safety rate uh, when it comes to these types of systems because we're nowhere near that today.
0: And I understand that you want to test them out, you know, in a realistic environment. You want to put them, like, on the actual road. So do you um, put any kind of indicator markers on the vehicle so that people know maybe to kind of avoid it or to be cautious around it?
3: Well, you know, as analog devices, we are what's known as a tier two uh, in uh-huh. this ecosystem, where we produce the silicon and the uh, aspects of the software that are foundational to these types of systems. But in autonomous vehicles today, Laura, you see them, there's, they, they are very visible. And in many instances, Google or Waymo has taken this philosophy as well, that these sensors are meant to be very visible on the car. If you just look at some of the recent polls, for example, 70% of all Internet users will not get into an autonomous vehicle because they believe that to be unsafe. And so, one of the biggest hurdles here to uh, wider adoption of autonomous vehicles is the customer acceptance and the sentiment that they have towards these autonomous vehicles. The fact that these sensors are so prominently displayed on these robo-taxis and these initial deployments of autonomous vehicles, that is actually meant to address that, that consumer concern. These yeah. sensors are meant to be visible so we can see actually how they are seeing the world around it, and that is meant to change people's minds.
1: Chris, Brandon here. I, I know that you uh, really want to get into some of the nitty-gritty of the tech that uh, analog devices is shipping into, the, into these markets. But really quickly, you mentioned something earlier that, that's interesting. You know, once high-tech and Silicon Valley really started getting more and more involved in the automotive space, that the mindset is to push the envelope. And obviously, that's at odds with, with just automotive in general. Uh, do you think that there's going to need to be some sort of regulation, perhaps, by NHTSA? I, uh, most of us don't want that to happen. Um, but do you think that that's going to be something that's implemented at some point in the future?
3: Oh, definitely, Brandon. Most regulation lags the technological advancements, And mm-hmm. if you look at, you know, from the specific history in which analog devices has been involved in in this area, we actually created the first monolithic airbag sensor back in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, two years later, the United States Congress made airbag sensors mandatory on all, on all cars, largely because companies such as analog devices we're able to make this particular function in a very reliable, cost-effective manner that would allow wider deployment on the automobile. So I think that what you will see is a similar rollout of, of legislation uh, as we move into higher levels of driver assistance and autonomous systems and personally owned vehicles. You mentioned NIFTA, for example. Well, you know, there is an automatic emergency braking mandate, which NISA has brokered with all major OEMs that in September 2022. The automatic emergency braking becomes a standard fitment on all new cars. What does that mean? That means now radar technology will become much more prevalent on on these cars, because automatic emergency braking relies on that type of perception sensor. So, so I think that once these sensors become ubiquitous, they reach the right performance and cost trade-off in order to be deployed in the automobile in some larger number than they are today that is when I think that the, that the legislative bodies are going to have to weigh in on this. And, and probably one of the, the things that they need to resolve immediately on this is the, the metrics and the, the behavior and the performance. So if you get into your car and you have a particular uh, ADAS function or driver assistance function, like automatic emergency braking, you want to make sure that that operates in a certain way in a standard way, so then when you get into your rent car on your business trip, it operates uh, identically. And currently, there is no legislation that dictates how these functions should operate uniformly across different car platforms. And so I think that you're going to see a lot more activities in the legislative bodies specifically around something like that, standardization around functionality and performance of these systems.
0: I do want to talk a little bit more about some of the breakthroughs in the sensor technology as far as radar, LIDAR, IMU AI, and machine learning capabilities, though. How far yeah. are we along with AI and machine learning being used in safety-critical automotive sensors? You know, AI holds a lot of
3: promise here, right? And just this whole idea of being able to train these neural networks in different use cases, corner cases, in order to improve the overall performance. And so I do... I do think that holds a lot of promise overall, but that runs at odds with more deterministic processing, which is very prevalent in, in driver assistance systems today. And concepts such as functional safety really relies on your circuits to be deterministic. In other words, if I do something to the circuit, every time uh, it operates and it, and it reacts in the same way. And functional safety is meant to comprehend what that is and put countermeasures and redundancies into these systems here to make sure that the the vehicle operates in a safe manner all the time. AI throws a spanner in that works, right? There's many different ways in which the car could react based on any multiplicity of of inputs that we don't even yet fully comprehend today. So I think that there's going to have to be much more work in the AI space in order to make it automotive ready, so to speak, and, and automotive safe. But I do think that it is the foundational technology that will allow us to properly comprehend all of these disparate use cases that the car might see in order to properly train itself and react to these situations. But I think we're still a ways away from making that a standard offering in a personally-owned vehicle, for example.
1: So, Chris, um, as you point out, AI by its very nature is not deterministic. So when we think about AI being used in a safety context, are you suggesting that probably for the foreseeable future, and maybe indefinitely, AI is just one of many inputs? So, you know, you have your LiDAR, your sensors, perhaps a camera, and then AI is one other input um, that's contributing to an overall bigger decision.
3: I think, Brandon, that AI is going to form a much more fundamental aspect of these systems. It is effectively the brain, right? So Mm -hmm. these perception sensors or navigation sensors, those are the senses of the body. But the AI needs to comprehend those inputs and and react to it. And so I think that it it is different from that perspective. It it stands upon the foundation of these sensing technologies.
1: Very good. And, And where do you see... AI being deployed. You you mentioned it being the brain, but I've also seen topologies where people are trying to deploy machine learning and AI algorithms at the sensor itself, um, as well as perhaps in like a a larger, say, ADAS ECU. Sure. Uh, You
3: know, Brandon, there's many different ways that you can look at artificial intelligence. Like you you mentioned in, in some of your comments, AI is a tool that we can utilize. So the, the AI subsystem that we spoke about here is really the brain, but you can parse this down to different levels of abstraction. So let's look at the sensor, for example. You can develop AI algorithms that effectively would calibrate out any artifacts that your horror uh, sensor uh, you know, could, could produce. So let's say, for example, they have a radar sensor or a camera sensor that has a particular defect in it and you're always getting a false positive in a certain area of uh, the field of view, you can develop an AI algorithm that can effectively identify that artifact and, you know, do any kind of processing around that in order to mitigate its effects. And so there are plenty of things that we can apply those, those AI concepts to uh, in order to correct for different impairments in the system all the way out to the sensor edge. But you can also apply those same concepts to the central ECU, where it's basically having to take all of these different sensor screen inputs and apply some level of sensor fusion. Uh, Again, it's a different scope of the problem, but the concepts are similar.
1: Very good. Speaking of um, sensors, what are the trends you're seeing? You know, know, there's going to have to be, I mentioned earlier, cameras and then LIDARs and, and then, you know, different Types of radar. What are the big, high-level trends you're seeing with adoption of these various sensors?
3: Yeah, I think that, as I mentioned uh, earlier in our discussion, NHTSA has engaged with the worldwide OEMs to create this mandate around automatic emergency braking in 2022. And as I mentioned, that is a radar technology. So what you will see in the near term is radars will become much more prevalent on new automobiles. Especially in the second half of the 2020s here. And that, that is a, that is a fundamental sea change. Today, sea change. Today, many of the systems that you have in cars today are more vision based, but they obviously uh, have uh, issues. Cameras don't see that well at night, for example, but they are fundamental to this. Bringing radar into the mix allows us to do things that we never were able to do with cameras. Radars work well in inclement weather. Radars work well uh, in the evening on this. You still need cameras to see colors and to read road signs, though. So, so I think that when you see the trends, one, all of these systems will become multi-sensors, right? So you will have camera, you will have radar, you will have LiDAR. In my mind, you need LiDAR because LiDAR is a nice bridge between the resolution uh, that you can acquire with a camera system but it's more robust to the environmental, the environmental things that can happen in front of the car, with a car in terms of things like fog and, and other things in which LIDAR will be able to perform better than cameras. And also, if you look at these systems, three sensing modalities are really required in order to make a policy decision. If your camera and your radar says that there is an object there, uh, you or, or they disagree, let's say, the camera and radar disagree that there's an altitude, you need a third sensing modality that actually would confirm that. So that will be a very important aspect in order to make the cars operate robustly under all of these environmental conditions consistently. So I think overwhelmingly you will see a lot more sensor fusion uh, in the future, a lot more of these multi-sensor systems that are relying on each of the, the strengths of these of these sensors, and a lot more fusion technology that brings all of these together in order to create that 360-degree safety shield around the car with the highest level of resolution.
0: Chris, what is analog uh, producing as far as these sensors go today? So,
3: AI is focusing in the areas where we believe uh, it requires the most amount of innovation in terms of performance or, and to address System level size, weight, and power, or SWAP. So when you when you look at these systems, camera systems are largely very mature at this point. Uh, we have several uh, partners in the industry that are producing camera technology and algorithms that uh, are best in class. Uh, ADI has focused their initiatives in the other sensing technologies where. We believe it needs this improvement, but there's also a lot of improvement on the hardware end of things in addition to the algorithms that would be needed to comprehend the sensor data. So if you look at our portfolio, first and foremost, we have been in radar technology for over 20 years. Uh, and this technology has been in multiple applications outside of automotive. Now we are miniaturizing it, making it much more power efficient because radars are going from effectively zero in your car to perhaps upwards of six to ten radar modules to implement various ADAS functions. And so there's a lot of work uh, that the industry, that analog devices is putting in, in order to maintain uh, or achieve imaging radar performance. And I define imaging radar as, you know, be able to discern up to three centimeters from a range resolution which effectively allows you to see very small objects in the presence of very large objects, the children in it, right, that are standing next to an automobile or a truck.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
3: this is where we have been focusing a lot of our energies at analog devices in the radar domain is to obviously drive to higher levels of integration in order to bring the size, weight, and power of these systems down, but also to drive forward on the performance. Because today, radar systems are only used for things like object detection. There is an object there or not. And in many instances, like in your blind spot camera, uh, there's a lot of false positives. Mm -hmm. But now, moving into imaging radar technology, you will need to have a lot more finer resolution uh, in order to uh, be able to discern these smaller objects. And so ADI is focusing a lot on on those particular applications there. The other two areas that, that we're focusing on is one is LiDAR. Uh, and so in today's systems, LiDAR systems are very expensive. They have a lot of performance deficiencies associated with them. And so ADI is looking at the heart of that in order to miniaturize these, in order to get to a much better thermal footprint, Thermals drive system costs, and there's a lot of issues associated with getting this to the right size for broader deployment uh, in the automobile. So we are applying a lot of our technology to optimizing the electrical and power signal chains here uh, in order to drive the the total system costs down. And then lastly was our our technology around inertial measurement units. So this is, uh, again, another piece of technology that ADI has developed for the last 20 years. Uh, these types of inertial measurement units are used in aerospace applications to support autopilot, uh, as well as military and aerospace applications uh, for firing, for dead and dead reckoning. And so uh, this type of technology is actually ideally suited for autonomous driving. If your perception sensors have become unstable because there's a state change, let's say you enter a tunnel, uh, your camera system will go unstable for a period of time as it adjusts to the new lighting situation. Perhaps your radar uh, system now has to deal with multi-path uh, as the uh, electromagnetic uh, wave bounce off the side of the tunnel, and you've just lost GPS because you've entered the tunnel. So the IMU, effectively fused with a high-definition map, will allow you to have confidence that you're going to stay within your lane of travel has your perception sensors come back online. And so there are no line used in cars today, and you will need this type of technology to be able to manage the velocity and trajectory of your automobile as it goes through these various state changes. And as you increase the speed of the automobile, your inertial sensors even become that much more important because of the distances in which you're going to be traveling over uh, that period of time in which your perception sensors are unstable. So those are the three areas, radar, lidar, and inertial technology, that ADI is bringing to bear on these problems.
0: Also, that's all very reassuring, (laughs) you know, to keep the safety critical and set. Um, what's a realistic timeline for the widespread deployment of autonomous vehicles, and what do you think some of the key issues are that are holding us back?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think that if we, if we look at economy, um, in my mind there are, there are two parallel paths that are being um, followed at this point. You, you, you see um, uh, companies such as Waymo or, or Active, that are driving to high levels of level four plus type of autonomy, uh, robo taxi applications. And as I mentioned earlier, these would primarily be in uh, locations that are uh, have a lot of sun, good weather, straight roads, um, and they would be in a geofenced location. And in many instances, they will put the most highest performing technologies uh, on those uh, on those vehicles with the safety driver and they will use those platforms to mature these algorithms. Then there's a parallel path in my mind with more traditional OEMs, where we're driving to higher levels of driver assistance technology. As I mentioned automatic emergency braking is going to be one of these things. And then uh, the the, the follow on of that will be automatic emergency steering. So in addition to braking your car will actually steer out of the way automatically uh, uh from any kind of object that you might hit and mm-hmm. so these will take a much more structured approach of traditional automotive addressing functional safety, redundancy, system cost And so these two parallel paths are, are moving together. I would say in the future they will merge right the the, uh, the level four and level five uh, capabilities will, Uh, come down in terms of cost and size and weight and power, where mass market automotive will adopt this. So you will see a lot of these things happening in parallel. And for personally owned vehicles, you will see much more level three and level three plus. Audi has uh, uh, obviously taken a pretty big leap here, putting LiDAR into their systems. You will see more and more of that uh, in the car. So I think that you will see level three plus for highly automated driving, uh, being much more prevalent uh, in the 20, mid-2020s into into 2030. Uh, and that will be the, the primary um, modality or, or application of autonomy for that decade. Uh, I think that during that time, the Level 4 and Level 5 applications will obviously continue to mature, mm-hmm. and I think that by the time you get to the mid-2030s, then you're really going to be there uh, uh, merging those, those tep- capabilities together, and I think you'll see much more autonomy uh, in the second half of the 2030s.
0: Wow. So it's almost here. Uh, (laughs) It's going to be here before we know it. Um, If you'd like to learn more about what Analog Devices is doing with autonomous vehicles, uh, please visit their website at www.analog.com. Chris, thank you so much again for taking the time to speak with us today. This is all really fascinating stuff.
3: It was my pleasure, Laura, and uh, I very much enjoyed our talk.
1: Very good.
4: Speaking of automotive, um, there is a pretty big show happening this week in Novi, Michigan. It's the TU Automotive Detroit 2019, and we actually have quite a lot of news coming out of that show. Um, First off, I want to talk about Renesas. They just released their Perception Quick Start software. Um, It's built on its R-Car. V3H system on chip, and it's going to provide reference software for camera obstacle detection, LiDAR obstacle detection, and road feature detection.
5: That's some really good stuff. Um, So uh, obviously as we start adding more artificial intelligence um, and machine learning to vehicles as we were discussing earlier, um, you're going to need some ways to on ramp really quickly, and it appears that Renaissance is starting uh, to get that process rolling for developers by packaging this Quick Start SDK sort of uh, software with their uh, popular RCAR SOCs and helping uh, Tier 1s and other automotive developers get uh, on the road, unattended.
4: <laughs> Very nice. Uh, more news coming out of uh, TU Automotive. Uh, Valence Technology has chosen. Um, the Mipi Alliance for their automotive physical layer standards.
5: Yeah, so um, Valence uh, gets a little bit of a win here as their Phi uh, is uh, chosen for some of the camera um, networking um, that will be going on within the vehicle. So ADAS systems, what um, and other autonomous vehicle safety systems um, that rely on a camera or other sensors uh, can use uh, the, the now Mipi automotive Phi. Um, to pipe data around the car really quickly. Um, it provides up to 15 meters and uh, 12 to 24 gigabits per second. so that's a lot of throughput.
4: Awesome and if you want if you happen to be at the show um, they will be showcasing their latest chipset um, in Booth B100. So it's booth B100 if you happen to be there. Um, I also want to back up and say that Renaissance will also be at the show in Booth C190. And uh, in other news, we have Talks and Marvin. Um, They actually collaborated um, on a first end-to-end live V2X demo that they're also going to be highlighting at the show.
5: Yeah, the interesting thing for TU Automotive uh, Detroit attendees, if you stop by here, the uh, demo between Talks and Marvin showcases both DSRC and CV2X. So for those of you familiar with the automotive uh, V2X space, you'll note that there are are a couple of competing technologies uh, that may be used for this car-to-car and car-to-infrastructure communication, and both of them are these, and they'll both be on display at TU Automotive in this Marvin and Autotox demo.
4: Great, and they will also be in booth C-198.
5: Well, good stuff there, Laura. This was a fun week.
4: Definitely was. A lot of automotive action going on right now, and as always, uh, if you'd like to read up about more of the news that's coming out of that show, uh, we will be posting updates throughout the week. Um, go to our website at www.embedded-computing.com.
5: Cool. And then can people find us uh, at other places along the interwebs?
4: Of course. They can find us on Facebook under Embedded Computing Design. Go to LinkedIn under Embedded Computing. Uh, we also have a LinkedIn group. Um, if you go and try to join, um, our admin will will accept your request. Uh, we are also on Twitter at Embedded underscore Comp, that's C-O-M-P, and Instagram at Embedded underscore Computing. So please follow us today. <laughs>
5: Good stuff. Well, thanks a lot, Laura. We'll see you next week.
4: All right. Thanks, Brandon. Have a good one.